0: Go listen to the Lucha Yover's podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am my host. I am my host. How about that for an intro? I am your host. As always, Jesse Collins. Uh, joining me today is Josh Nason. Josh is, of course, of uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Figure4Online.com. He is the host of Josh Nason's Punch-Out, which you can find on the uh, F4WWON uh, website in the, in the podcast feed section. Um, he's my neighbor to the north. Uh, he's a native of Western Maine. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today?
2: Uh, very good, Jesse. I'm glad to finally be on your show after you've been on my show, Uh Gracefully, so many times, and I should wish you a good hello, Gullo.
1: Oh, hello,
2: Gullo. Um, yes, see,
1: Brandon's dropping
2: the ball on Hello, Gullo
1: because what really needs to hammer it home is like some elevator music in the background. While Gullo yeah. tells us a story of his life, because people don't uh, always get this on WrestleNomics, but Gullo has some hilarious stories from his life that he usually tells us either before or after we record, and I really feel like that should be shared with the world.
2: Um, yeah, he, nev- he doesn't talk a lot on that show. He just kind of sitting there with, with a bow tie and kind of run the ship and all that stuff. Yeah. He doesn't really uh, contribute that much.
1: Oh, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I'm not going to uh, tell you he doesn't contribute. And part of that is strategic. Um, it's hard to have three people talking at once on a podcast. Um, see. and Golo does a lot of, uh, of kind of management and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, c- keeps control of the timestamps. He runs the chat room. He tells us when comments are happening, uh, Breed's things, that kind of stuff, is is more of his role uh, since I've been on the show. Of course, we're feuding uh, in storyline. Um, That's but, so So do you know the origin of the Hello Gullo? I don't know. We were going to start with a Chris uh, Gullo conversation. Uh,
2: <laughs> this is good. It, it helps uh, the storyline along. Uh I don't. I am sure I've heard it, but I actually do not. So Gullo's uncle owns
1: a like a like a, landscape. a hardware store. Yeah, it's like a garden. Yeah. It's like a garden center. Yes. And they have regional ads in the Buffalo area where it, they say like "Say hello, hello to Gullo's," and like they, you know it's a commercial for it. And I guess they they were airing it during Dynamite um, in the Buffalo area, so Brandon picked it up, and that's kind of how it started. Um, but that is the that is the origin of it for people who. Are not aware or certainly not uh getting buffalo new york area cable feeds which is where that commercial comes from it's a very regional advertisement but we all have our our, our famous regional advertisements um
2: no oh, we certainly do
1: yes you know of course in new england we have many um i heard uh speaking of, of new england uh advertising news you know you know what i i got an email the other day that they're reworking the water country jingle are you familiar with the water country jingle
2: Uh, I, I know I've heard it, but it is not coming to mind. Are you going to sing it for me right now?
1: Well, you know, it's like, it's when the sun is blazing and the summer is hot. Water country is a very cool spot. That's how, that's how it goes. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Are you in a band?
1: No, I'm not. I'm very, I'm I'm musically (laughs) gifted, despite my incredible singing of, uh, of water, of the water country theme song. Anyway, they're reworking it. And I I was like, who was asking for a reworking of the water country jingle? It is iconic. Um, Mm. Okay, this is this is a uh, terrible audio for anyone outside of the uh, the ninety five Beltway, uh, but uh, but the reason I had you on the show today, Josh, is because I wanted to talk about WWE uh, in a positive light. Uh, and obviously, there's there's no way to look at WWE's business metrics without being extremely positive. If we look over the past year, pretty much across the board, they are up substantially from where they were a year ago um you know look at live attendance is through the roof i mean i remember where wwe was probably having maybe like four or five raw or smackdown tapings per year that would get more than 10,000 fans in attendance and now it's like if they don't get 10,000 fans in attendance it's like a downhouse um the television ratings have gone way up especially in the key demo um you know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, WWE was in like the 0.40 range for Raw. And now we see them right around, you know, 0.55, sometimes stretching as high as like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. Uh, we've seen that number. We've seen really seen their business just increase across the board over the last year. The only thing I think they're down in is YouTube views, um, which is kind of shocking. But I'm sure that has more to do with like videos being pulled and certain other metrics going on, on YouTube's end. Because everything else is way way up and i wanted to kind of explore the the multitude of reasons why we think that is um i think it's not an easy explanation um because like anything in in an industry that's this diverse and this wide there are a lot of factors in play but i'll start with this josh just if i were to come up to you on the street and ask you hey i heard wwe's doing a lot better business-wise why is that how would you answer that question
2: because uh, they have a pretty major storyline has run for a long time, that has got a lot of legs to it, uh, a lot of tentacles to it, and has been well well told, and one that is seems cool, and it's very accessible. It doesn't involve really old people, so to speak, uncool people. You know, to, even Paul Heyman, even though it's at an advanced age, so to speak, not in the uh, the key demo, I would assume he is he's he's kind of plays playing a part in this but it really and just involves like really kind of like yeah it's a cool angle and i think that's a that's a big thing especially when it comes to the uh the uh, elusive uh quote-unquote casual fan that everyone's trying to get i think part of that is this angle is something that you if you're a wrestling fan and you're watching with somebody else or they happen to come up in a conversation so it's like, oh, what is the? I saw Roman Reigns was on this, or or whatever, or uh, USO or USI or something along those lines. If someone, if someone was kind of outside our bubble, was to bring it up, you wouldn't be embarrassed to talk about it. And I think that's a that's a thing where it's very accessible. It has the soap opera elements, it has the physical elements, and it has these different elements that have not made it feel stale, which is unlike a lot of WWE angles. Throughout the period where fans just start getting shaved off, uh, disengaged, disenchanted with Vince McMahon booking, I would say that's the top reason is that it has a hot thing. And after a while, people just kind of get hooked onto it and then they find other things kind of like back in the Attitude Era when it was the Steve Austin run and that was kind of your, your, your meat for the dinner. And then people are like, oh, what's this side dish over here? What's this over here? And they're willing to check other things out and they find certain hooks that they like. And that becomes cool too. And it's just kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's what we'll, we'll talk about, you know, attendance, I'm sure, and things like that. But they have really been smart about where they're taking their monthly pay-per-views slash PLEs to uh, different locales in front of hot crowds that make it seem like it's a place to be and a place to be seen. As we used to say back when I used to work in pro sports, it's an event. People are jumping out of their seats. The first one that comes to mind is Puerto Rico. You look at the international markets, it looks cool. And that translates over. Whereas, you know, a lot of RAWs throughout the years and SmackDowns as well. People are just kind of like, I would say sitting on their hands, but basically just sitting and watching the show. And when they get to these, these big moments, these big punctuating moments, the, the emotion of the fans, you can feel it at home, and you feel it, and then it makes it feel like this is something that's kind of cool to be part of. So that, that'd be what I would start with.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're really big on the bloodline angle really kind of driving this growth. Um, yes. What's interesting to me is that the, you know, the bloodline angle has been going on for years. We can go back two or three years, and you could find you know, the Usos feuding with Roman Reigns. Um but it wasn't really until this past, you know, really this past year, the past 365 days, where I would say, like, it really took off in terms of, you know, I think people were were into it within, like, you know, the established WWE fan base that was watching week to week anyway. Um, but and, and people were into kind of Roman's heel turn right from the get go. But it really wasn't until about a year ago where I felt like it really turned into like a historically memorable angle in the sense of this will be an angle that people I don't want to say like it's the greatest angle of all time or or all that's compare it to the NWO and stuff like that but at the same time I do think in like 10 or 15 years we'll be remembering oh the bloodline angle is like this is this historically important angle um but it didn't but it took like a couple years for it to kind of get that way, which is really interesting. I don't think we've really seen anything like that in pro wrestling. If you wanted to go back and compare, it, it's like the NWO, like the NWO starts off really hot. Uh, you know, it stays hot for, for a long time in wrestling terms, but eventually cools off. I mean, by the time the NWO had been done and beaten to death uh, as an angle, the bloodline angle was really taking off, you know, two, two and a half years into it, which I find kind of fascinating.
2: Yeah, so there's a few things with that. One, um, you know, there's been multi-year angles run before, but TV was a lot different. I think of the, the famous one, obviously the Hogan Savage from you know four WrestleMania four through WrestleMania five. I mean, that was year long, but there wasn't uh, hours and hours of TV to fill. So in this era, I, I I would agree with you that these long storylines, which which Vince McMahon has has, has been kind of adverse to uh, throughout the years, and especially during the I would say the decline of, in interest in the company before uh, before this run. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's I, the thing that really stands out, you know, as you were talking about that is think about all some of these angles that we've seen in WWE through the past, you know, few years. Say say before this, say uh, from like, I don't know, 2017 through 2020. Uh, sorry, 2017 through 2020, right? Or 2015, whatever you want to say there. What angles do you remember that that have been kind of top, quote-unquote, top angles that have left everyone elevated afterward? I can't think of that many. I'm sure there may be one or two, maybe, but ones that like this where Roman Reigns, the centerpiece, is coming off bigger as a result of this to me. Both Usos as a team and then also individually, especially Jay, I think, is going to be the one that really benefits the most. I think that's clear. He comes off as a bigger star. Uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, I think those guys, their profiles had increased through this as well. And even things like, you know, with, with Cody Rhodes, as much as I dislike him not winning the title, I think that run and I the I think the alliance kind of leading into some of these shows with um Cody and, and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. I love seeing that because that reminds me again when I was I was growing up where Baby faces aligned. It was baby faces versus heels. Baby faces so, have
1: friends. An important right, thing that is right. elusive from WWE during certain periods of time.
2: And they don't over like AEW, I think tends to overdo it where every single person, no matter where they are, needs a friend or multiple friends. And I think that waters it down. When WWE don't see that, and we hadn't seen that in really like forever. Like a real like top guys getting together and being like, This is this is not good. And we're gonna we're gonna fend off these. These heels, right? Just that that kind of guttural feeling of where we came from, or at least I came from as a wrestling fan. So I feel like everyone is just elevated through this. And it's not just a case of uh, you know, I think of all like the, you know, the the big Brock Lesnar matches. I don't, you know, I'm just using an example. I don't feel like out of any of these, like there's been guys that have come out of being like, This, this person feels bigger as a result. It was always just kind of like, brought kill someone and we move on and, and, and that's it and on to the next. And it's just kind of like meh, you know, that that's one of the things that I think really stands out is that it, other people feel bigger set when they go to other angles, they go to raw, so on and so forth, they kind of bring that momentum with them. That's something we just really haven't, to me, we haven't really seen it felt like guttural felt in a long time.
1: I think you touched on something really important there, which is, I think WWE has done a much better job in the last year or two of presenting and booking baby faces in general. I think that's something that they've really struggled with, um, over like the last ten years, and yeah. I do think, especially with the way you know since they brought back Cody, which would be you know WrestleMania last year, I think the way Sami Zayn kind of took off, and I think you can look at the way the Usos are presented now, um, that baby faces are being presented in a stronger way. Um, it's not all heat on the baby face, heat on the baby face, heat on the baby baby face. You mentioned like baby faces have friends which was often a problem in WWE, which is the heels all had a bunch of friends and the baby faces were losers that had no one that wanted to help them. So they kept getting beaten up by the army of heels each time. Um, I think that, especially with a wrestler like Cody and I would say the Usos are, are, are close to this as well. I just think their promos are a lot better in coming across as uh, more natural um that probably has to do with maybe less Vince involvement which we'll get to and I think is like the major factor in WWE's improvement over the last year um but I just think in general like baby faces come across as better and I think that plays a role in oh even though Roman Reigns has held the title for a million years and he's not really putting people over people are still feel elevated when they interact with him because they come across as organically good performers and people that the fans want to get behind um in a way that was kind of elusive to wwe before
2: yeah uh, you know i think the debate the like you i know you are a big ken burns uh, documentary watcher now as a, a subscriber to pbs after they knocked on your door pbs passport member but yes i'm a you PBS other- passport
1: holder of, 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 of a proud new hampshire native by the way ken burns
2: that's right. That's right. Do you watch a uh, regular, you know, scripted TV shows? You are a regular TV watcher?
1: Uh, I don't watch a ton of scripted television, but I have. I do watch. You know, I probably watch like one show at a time. Uh, okay,
2: that makes so sense. Wh- what do you What are you watching right now? Or what's the one that comes to mind? Uh, I just
1: finished The Bear.
2: Great. Um, so, The Bear, the perfect yes. example, outstanding show, both seasons, great FX, Hulu, wherever you want to watch it. I would highly recommend. When you watch those shows do you find that you have rooting interest for certain characters on those shows yes on that show yes yeah of course right in other shows you've watched throughout the years probably very similar where you have a kid there's a there's a connection an emotional connection a feel where you're like i want this person to do good, like when uh Marcus went to, I believe it was, it was, Amsterdam, not was Amsterdam. He went he to went-
1: Copenhagen. I was about to bring Cop- that. Bring, I was about to bring it up. I was like, yes, in that episode, I was rooting for Marcus. I was worried that something bad was going to happen for him, but I was like, right. I, when it ended, I had a big sigh of relief. I said, this was such a pleasant episode.
2: Exactly, and that spoilers. Spoilers
1: what- on the bear, by the
2: way. <laughs> right, right. Not, not major ones, but it's, it's good. But that's the whole, yeah, you know, like people, you know, may connect to Sydney or um to Carmi or Carmi's brother, uh, his cousin. And like the point is that no matter any of these shows, I watch a, a lot of scripted TV have throughout the years. And the thing you makes a good show a, a big thing that makes a, a good show from versus a bad show is your connection to the characters and whether frankly you give a shit about what they're doing, what their lives are like, you know, what they're like, are you invested in the story? And that's one of the things that, you know, talking about baby faces that, that, again, that they've really kind of got back to. You can see it with some of the, you know, the Santos Escobar, Rey Mysterio stuff. And, you know, the uh, Rey Mysterio, the ultimate baby face going against the dastardly son, uh, Dominic Mysterio. That was a nice kind of a, another thing that I think is kind of elevated up to that. The you it, When you have so much darkness, you have to have the light. You think of any type of uh, science, uh, science fiction, but like pop culture movie, like your Star Wars, all your Marvel shows, things like that there's good going. It's evil. So you, you, most people root for the good. They want to see the bad guys get theirs and so on. Or if you're seeing again, um, Mark is trying to figure out how to cook and things like that. You want to have a, a rooting interest. And that's where, you know, with the whole baby face thing that WWE has finally kind of come back around on that was missing for so long was like, I don't like, I, I just don't want to root for these people. Cause they're just, they're they're weak baby faces. They're just not like, they don't give you that instant, you know, non-smooth fit. This is why you should be ring for me. It's like Cody's Cody's a natural baby face. and having him in, you just you immediately like i'm I'm with this guy. I like this stuff. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zanes are this bloodline view, the same thing. Um you know, people like that. You just you like to like them, and that's a that's a good that's a good thing cause it creates that balance and it creates that kind of that that interest, that hook that they've been just missing for so long. Um, and yeah, historically, that's a,
1: historically WWE has been a you know, a baby face territory. Like that is how the company look at their most successful periods and wrestlers. You can go back to Bruno Sam. You can go even before Bruno Sammartino. It's like Argentina Rocca and stuff, people like that. But you know, look at Bruno Sammartino, look at Bob Backlund. look at Hulk Hogan, look at Bret Hart. Look at Steve Austin. Like go if we go back to the Attitude Era, which was, this was always like a big notable thing to me, um, especially you know when they were so obsessed with just heat, heat, heat every week. Was that like the if you were to watch a Raw in nineteen ninety eight, the general plot of Raw is Steve Austin is the popular babyface. Vince McMahon organized some kind of scheme or plot to to uh negatively impact Steve, Steve Austin. Maybe he wanted to beat him for the title. Maybe he wanted to just beat him up. But the end of pretty much every episode was Steve Austin figures it out and gives Vince a Stone Cold stunner. That's not, sometimes, you know, every once in a while, McMahon would, would end up victorious for, for the week. But for the most part, every episode was built around, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. The bad guy, you know, puts pressure on the good guy, but the good guy overcomes the end and everyone goes home happy. Um, And that was kind of like the standard for WWE's most successful period of time. Um, it wasn't until like, only like, you know, the last decade or so where it became a lot more like, you know, the babyface is going to get, finally get a big win after like nine months of struggle, which like there's some logic to the sense of, we're going to beat the babyface, beat the babyface, beat the babyface, beat the babyface. And then eventually they're going to, to get a big win, which is kind of what happened to Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan. That was like kind of the, the method that ended up happening for him. Um, And there's a method to that in the sense of, you know, that, that we'll, we'll make fans want it so bad. We won't deliver, we won't deliver. And then when we finally deliver, it will be huge. But realistically, what happens is it becomes very hard as a babyface to maintain that kind of momentum when you're getting your ass kicked each week. Um, what makes it easier is if you're coming out on top and being protected in the booking. And I think WWE has done a much better job protecting those babyfaces in their booking in a week-to-week basis. So there's more of a rewarding factor, even though Roman Reigns has been champion the entire time. And I do think that the Roman Reigns aspect is interesting because I also think Roman Reigns is... uh, It's kind of varied depending on who he's wrestling, but like Roman Reigns is obviously the biggest heel in the company, but he's also kind of the biggest babyface too. He's the most popular wrestler, mm-hmm. um, which is more of like a, it's it, it's more of a role that exists in, in modern wrestling that maybe didn't exist in the past where fans are not as aligned to like the morality of their wrestlers. They don't know if it's good or they don't really side with who's good or who's evil. They go side with who's interesting. And Roman is been the most interesting wrestler for most WWE fans, certainly the way he's presented uh, he comes across as like the most complex character in a lot of ways. Um, he's had the entire company built around him for the past decade. Uh, and so fans are also, you know, he's kind of, he's over with the fans kind of in the way that a baby face is, even while he is being presented as a heel.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's uh yeah, I think, I think you, you nailed it when you said interesting, he's interesting, right? Even as in this kind of tweener role that he's in, He's cool. He's interesting. He's um he's worth paying attention to because there's now levels and, and layers to the character, you know, understanding more of the backstory and just he is far more interesting than when they were trying to make him John Cena 2.0 and be like, OK, we're just going to hand the baton to somebody else and we're going to force this until people are like just are just going to accept it. Now and, they naturally accept it.
1: And John Cena's character was not interesting. Like Johnson,
2: after a a while, he was not right. Right. It just became like the same old thing. And even like you know, I'm was always big like you know, change up the look from time to time, try something different. And and that was you know the the big call forever. And this was again during kind of a a real big to me a creative lull with WWE. Was everyone's wanted to be heel, right? Uh, They wanted that satisfaction of just seeing seeing the seeing the good guy turn just once because it would make him more interesting. I think ultimately. That word is is the is the most important one. Um, when it comes to a Reigns or you know, in, in Austin was interesting, the rock was interesting. There was even you know, guys like Big Foley, there was there was something there which like, oh, this is different. And with Reigns, it just wasn't different. It felt like this is the guy you're we're going to give you, like it, like it or not. And
1: well, and, well I yeah, think right. with Cena, like Cena's character was not interesting. But Cena, like, has, like, a special level of charisma and, and personality that Roman just never had. Um, Roman needed to be presented in a different way to, I think, harness his talent, um, which happened when he turned heel and, you know, developed the tribal chief character and the kind of aesthetic that goes along with that. He couldn't just be like, John Cena, hey, fans, everyone have a good time tonight? Because Cena is really, uh, like, uniquely talented in that way he can go out and cut a 15-minute promo in front of a hostile crowd when he's supposed to be babyface and if not turn the crowd at least get them to stop taunting him and to, to be invested in what he's going to say and they try to shoehorn Roman Reigns into that role but Reigns had different skills um he didn't have the skill set for the Cena role and I think that's part of the reason he was struggled to get over for so long um as a top babyface it wasn't until he found a more fitting role for what he could be good at um, where things really took off. And now you can see where he is now. Um,
2: yeah, I I would love a at someday, a feature, long feature, I don't know if it's book worthy, but this whole, a real, like a real, real um, look inside this whole storyline, like where it was created, how much Paul Heyman had influenced on it, who had really, who was really the main drivers behind the, the creative, were there turns that they took, were there like, we don't know where the ones are like, we should, we didn't decide to take that, that maybe they would like to try again, um, you know, kind of where I, I'd love this, a long form podcast series, not produced by WWE, which I don't think we'll ever get, but just who are kind of the, the you know, the, the, the parents of this and, and who really kind of ushered this uh, kid of a story long, uh, so to speak storyline along to being a full grown adult. You know, i, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this guy. I think, I think by assumption was well, him. Oh, Heyman has to be involved. Heyman has to be involved. I'm sure he is, but I'm sure there's other uh, creative forces in line. I'd love to know how, how, what ideas has Roman come up with? There's stuff that, that the Usos came up with or how involved was Paul of Beck, you know, was McMahon involved to that extent? Cause this does not feel like a, a real McMahon storyline. Cause it's actually good, you know? And I'm just, I've just would loved to get, under get an understanding of the contributors to all this along the way. And who kind of really just added gasoline to this fire and, and made it even better. Well, and uh, Josh, pitfalls they avoid along the way.
1: Josh, if the NWO has taught us anything for the next 20 or 30 years, there'll be a million people taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether Very or not true. they really? were involved or not. It's like how uh, I think there's like 100 different people that have claimed that they came up with the idea of Bill Goldberg's winning streak.
2: No, that's um, true. Really.
1: We're going to, I don't know if we'll ever get a straight answer on uh on kind of the creative process i'm gonna put the disclaimer out here um i don't like the bloodline storyline i think oh, it's really okay. boring and it's been lasting for way too long and i actually don't think that there's been a lot of creative effort put into it given that it's been on weekly tv for three straight years um it feels like they've been telling basically the same story for the entire time with some brief blips particularly when sammy Zayn was getting over and things attention kind of shifted more towards him which i think made it more interesting um but i'm being objective here and obviously the the storyline is hugely successful and so i'm kind of separating my personal opinion on the storyline um which i am not a particularly huge fan of and i actually think its influence has been damaging to pro wrestling to an extent as far as what I like to see, but clearly it's successful. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And I wanted to do it with you, Josh, cause I knew you were a fan of it. Um, and I didn't want to just turn this into, I grumble about this, the bloodline storyline because that's not really what I find interesting. I find interesting is kind of what has happened in WWE over the last year.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I can completely see that. And I think that's a, a good thing about, um, this, uh, this industry and the, the art that it is, that it is possible for people to not agree and not be like, Oh, this is so terrible. You're a shill for this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is the whole thing is, and when you talk to any promoters and, and the really good ones, they are always like, we want to present a smorgasbord of different stuff, a variety of different stuff, a buffet, where people that don't like this don't have to wait long. Cause we'll have this coming up or this coming up. And it's, it's a variance it's palate cleansers. It's different things and it's okay you know it's okay and it's okay if people don't like women wrestling it's okay if people don't like blood and guts type stuff it's okay if they don't like the bloodline there's there's other things for them where they're like as long as it's not completely insulting their intelligence or it's just like oh, this is so so awful um you know there, there's something else that they can find and i think with you know one of the things with with wwe is it feels like there is a lot of kind of different things and you know granted this isn't you know they aren't eight pluses every single week you know raw is still three hours and i'm sure you know from I, I i'm not a regular raw watcher every single week um but just kind of hearing from people i respect and know they're it's back to the wow the show is really boring <laughs> it's a slog to get through it's not entertainment and but you look at the numbers are still strong, and SmackDown seems to be the one that is uh is continuing to, to power through. And we'll see how this turns. I mean, that WWE could have, in 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 Nick Khan and crew could have not landed in a better spot. Uh, if if they if they dream but, this up, the fact like, that there's a yeah,
1: a contract. A writer stri- oh, the writer yeah, strike, ra- yeah,
2: yeah, there's a writer strike, so they are they're bulletproof there because with a writer strike and the producer and the um actor strike. TV is going to be affected for at least probably the next year, depending on when this gets done, because it's not like all of a sudden production picks up the next day. Everyone's just outside and ready to go in the sets. All the stuff is in development. There's just a the whole thing. WWE just keeps on going. Pro Do you need to tell me that
1: uh, WWE is not a union uh, shop?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess not. I guess not. It's weird how that works. Yeah. yeah right. Seth Rollins. Um,
1: Seth Rollins sympathies are, are with the, the strikers, but he, he's glad he's not a union. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's well,
2: such a, that is such a weird take, but I, I like the thing, no, I no one licks about,
1: those boots better than Seth Rollins.
2: <laughs> the thing I, I still, I, I, I don't understand why W is not done. I, I, I do, but I don't is why are they still not covering and taking their travel for talent lodging um, travel Like, like it is. I, you you've talked to and I remember Bailey briefly yeah. brought this up and it's probably like electroshocked uh, when when she got back. But like for a company that makes this much money, is going to make probably, you know, a lot more in this next round of deals. This is like a no brainer just to take care of your talent and say you don't have to do this anymore because you are professional freaking entertainers. You know what I mean? I just it doesn't make any sense and oh. people outside the industry hear this, think it is ludicrous. Do you think that a you know, Brad Pitt is going to go on set. They're going to make him drive from place to place. If there's different locations or like professional athletes, you know, Oh, you got to find your way here. This is kind of part of like the team atmosphere is you don't, you, you, the company takes more control over it because they can sure people are going to get there and they have more control over it. And again, they have leverage in terms of flight discounts and travel. It's like, there's a way to do it and to let have the town be like, it's up to you. It's such a bad tradition. It's such a bad look. It's 2023. It's time to like move past this and well, take care of your people. Not
1: even not even being a successful entertainer, like anyone that's ever had to travel for work, um, for the most part, yeah. your company will either arrange it or at least reimburse you for it. I I when I have to travel for work, like I, I I have to drive somewhere to cover something. Every month, I fill out an expense report. That tells to, to, they pay me, they reimburse my gas because and I and I work for a a bad company. <laughs> Doesn't treat its employees <laughs> particularly well, um, like. Um, but yeah, I know that's that's one of those things that comes across as as being absurd. But um, to get back on tr- on topic a little bit, I wanted to uh, mention, like, well, in terms of like my personal opinion on it, like to me, it comes down to just being like, uh, like honest and being also being like uh, fair in my in my analysis. In nothing is more annoying to me. When like people argue about like, I like AEW and I like a w style. And it's annoying to me where people that don't like AEW style will make an argument that like AEW style isn't working, that no one wants to tune in and watch this stuff. There's too many lucha guys flying around this kind of thing, whatever people's personal preferences are wrestling are for wrestling. And they allow that to put them into a position where they're making absurd factually untrue arguments about the financial success of something. Um, Like, and so like, if I'm gonna be fair analysis, I can say, I don't really like the bloodline angle, but clearly it's doing well for business. Clearly it's a huge success. And clearly while it does not align with my personal tastes, it has really struck a chord in WWE's entire creative over the last year has really struck a chord with the WWE fan base and has gotten a lot more of their fans to become weekly watchers of their programming um and to to pay for tickets um and it'd be foolish and untruthful to say the bloodline stinks it's a terrible angle that they should they should they should end it they should break it up because they shouldn't because it's clearly working for them um and that's just part about being fair and honest. And I also, at the same time, some people will just say, oh, because it's doing business well, that means it's good, which those are two separate things. I can give my own opinion on something while also acknowledging the broader business implications of it. Uh, I guess it's sometimes a line people struggle to walk, but I think it's part of being in this space and being able to 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 separate your personal tastes with like business analysis.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I think some of the, um, you know, some of the business metrics and, you know, looking back at the uh, financials uh, that were released on, uh, on Wednesday, as we record this on, uh, on Thursday, um, you know, one of the things that stands out, obviously to me is the, the live event attendance and obviously mm-hmm. the revenue is up, but, you know, a big thing about revenue is people like, Oh, the revenue's up, revenue's up and you know, AEW they talk about that and all oh, the gates so much higher than a year ago that's cuz ticket prices are higher that's like a big reason for it but the actual tenants itself look at WWE compared year over year they did uh, they held six more uh, events um this last quarter than the the year over year before and it was you know 55 domestic foreign national and their domestic attendance was approximately or sorry they had 53 ticket events they had less less um less people or uh, less shows uh, average domestic attendance was uh, just under 10,000 9900 Compared to the year before, they had six less events and it was around 6,800. So, grand, grand there are less events, so that average can rise. But still, I mean, you look at you know some of these, um, uh, I think, was it uh, Survivor Series that went on sale in, in Orlando? I think it was. And th- that automatically sold out. Um, strong numbers. You look at, you know, with, with WrestleTix for various RAWs and SmackDowns. I mean, they're doing well. So that indicates, you know, for, again, for RAW and SmackDown and the the, the PLEs, you know, it's it's an, it, people are really interested. And also, that's also translating over to NXT when they've seen a nice, uh a re- renaissance with having more main roster talent down, whether that kind of muddies what they're supposed to be. I don't think WB cares right now, but it's a, people are definitely there. Even if they're not into the bloodline story, they're going to these shows and they're interested in something on the show in that buffet that they're like, I got to go see this live. And that's uh, yeah, that, that I look at those numbers and it's like, that's a, that's a big benefit. And that's something showing that people are going. And, and I was thinking that the other day, you know, at some point, this popularity is going to start decreasing. I mean, everything has an apex and everything has a decline. I don't know when the decline is going to happen. They're obviously pretty strong now, but I'm I'm curious how they manage that decline. If it comes in, in you know, a couple of years where we're at, at that point in the wrestling world and you know the world in general, but at some point, you know, this is they are going to start coming down. It's a, it's just that's just how kind of these things work.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I, I think the big the big thing for me, if I were to answer the original question, which is why is WWE so much more popular, um, over the past year, um, what I I think the thing that I come down to is, you know, Vince Ban, a year ago, Vince McMahon retires, resigns, steps down from all his capacities in, in WWE. Um it's you know it's publicly announced, it's publicly publicly acknowledged, Triple H is there cutting a promo on, on Episode of Raw. Um it is Triple H is now the creative head of WWE. Vince McMahon is retired. That's the that's the public line. That's that's the perception of, of everyone that Vince McMahon is no longer involved with the company. Um, and that was the case for several months and then you know Vince worked his way back into the company and now he's more powerful than ever. But Formally, at least, still, Triple H is in charge of the creative process. And I think that is a huge reason why this company is doing so much better from a business perspective. And the reason they're doing so much better from a business perspective is not necessarily that Triple H is better at creative than Vince McMahon, because I think he is. But I think the big thing is just... the the optimism that comes with Vince McMahon is no longer being in charge and Triple H is in charge and the fans generally like Triple H you know he had the reputation from NXT they think Triple H can do a good job and so immediately you had a lot more optimism for the product you had a lot more people who had maybe become disillusioned with WWE getting back into the product saying oh it's going to be different now I'm going to check it out even though I think the product isn't that much different there are obviously some significant changes like we discussed like the baby faces being presented better um but the product's not like radically different than it was you know a few years ago but i think the idea that triple h is in charge fans feel good about the product fans feel like if they get invested in somebody The company is going to reward them by paying it off. They've given them enough things like the bloodline angle, like Sami Zayn getting over, like the way that Cody has been presented, that they are now kind of rallying behind other new people. I think LA Knight is a significant one in that people are getting organically over, which used to happen all the time about 10 to 12 years ago sure you'll remember Zack Ryder people remember when like Dolph Ziggler was really over even you can go back and look at like when Rob Van Dam got really over in the you know in the mid-2000s edge kind of in the same way going back even further WWE always had these mid-carders kind of getting organically over and then eventually pushed uh at a higher level but at some points the company really—they—they they ended up burning enough bridges there. They ended up, you know, pushing Zach Wild, Ryder off of the stage in a wheelchair, and they ended, you know, beating Dolph Ziggler unceremoniously, and all these other things that happened to people that started to get organically over. Uh, fans lost that enthusiasm, lost that optimism, lost that investment in members of the roster, and they turned into a really apathetic crowd. And I don't think I think. It's a huge difference now that the crowd is so much more energized and they're behind a bunch of different people on the roster. Yeah, the Bloodline and Roman Reigns and the Usos and people like Cody are really over. But other people are starting to get really over too and getting big reactions from the crowd. And I think a lot of that comes from the fan base feels like wrestling is going to be in good hands. And they had just lost that by when Vince was in charge and you can't blame them, Vince, you know, there were so many dropped angles, uh, momentum opportunities to push someone new where they failed, um, you know, pushing, even just pushing Roman above everyone else as a stale baby face for year after year, after year, all of that just led to fans, you know, tuning out of the product literally, but also, just, you know, even if they were going to the shows, not making a ton of noise. And I think that's totally changed with Triple H in this position that he's in now. Um, Even if Vince is meddling backstage, even if Vince is still ripping up scripts, even if Vince is, you know, still making key creative decisions and calls, uh, the fan base feels like the company is in much better hands with Triple H, you know, as the formal head of creative. And I think that has led to a lot more positivity, which in turn has led to a lot more investment, which in turn leads to a lot more interest. And you've got people who are watching the TV each week, you know, tuning into the to the the pay-per-view events, um, going to live shows. All of those positive metrics are up because fans feel optimistic and positive about WWE. And they really didn't, you know, in the last few years before Vince, you know, formally resigned.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely an undeniable part of it. Again, it's just a question of how many, how many of those how many of the WWE fan base is active on Twitter and kind of understands what's going on.
1: I think Kevin. I think I think most of WWE's fan base was aware that Vince was no longer in charge. That was a major, major news story. And Triple H came out. Uh, Stephanie McMahon led a thank you Vince Chance uh, on SmackDown. Triple H came out mm-hmm. on the Television. Like I, I I'm not saying Uh, every single person was, you know, reading the wall street journal article and stuff like that. But I think pretty much every fan knew, uh, that Vince was no longer in charge.
2: Yeah. You think like more than 90%? Uh, more
1: than 90, I don't know, probably, probably not 90, but I would say like more than 80.
2: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Cause I, again, we're so in the bubble that. I when people talk about AEW promotion, WB certain news and and things like that, I think of like, well, how many of these people are actually? I think we assume everyone's on social. It seems like it is, but there's really not, you know, well, kind of the general population. But I, I, you know, I think to your to your point. Well, you have to yeah, look at I, Josh. I th-
1: you have to look at who did they lose over the last several years. Like, if you look at their ratings decline, it was really heavily in eighteen to forty nine, and that's who they've gotten back. Um, I think the people that are the reason the ratings are up, you know, this past year over the last several years is because I think people that had tuned out of the product over, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 came back. And that that fan base is probably more online, uh, or more at least on social media. I mean, every I'm pretty much everyone under the age of 50 or 60 is on social media in some some regard. Um
2: and yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I, so I think, I think there's a few things. I think the, it definitely has something to do with it in terms of plugged in fans for sure that felt, uh, and say lapsed fans, you know, to shout out to the lapsed fan podcast. But, you know, I, I think there is certainly a, there was certainly a revived interest. I know I felt it because I'm like this for people that kind of know that they're, that WB Cray was, was stale and the fact that, you had the guy that a lot of people blame for that out of there i think that that certainly was like what it add that element of what could happen now and that's a, a big factor mm-hmm. in terms of i mean tony Khan has built part of his company on like the big announcement the the suspense what could happen now surprise 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 and i and that's a big part of um that was a big part of it i mean you look at in who is triple h going to bring back who what, what are the quote-unquote Wrongs that he's going to write in terms of releases, and you start to see those time after time, and and however they're all over think, the product now, right? All the people he brought yeah, back, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the thing. As you look at those, I, the people had the 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 meme of the the Thanos glove and and all the you know the Johnny Gargano, Bray Wyatt, and, and all this stuff. I think if you can you look at that group now, it's like what you know what what happened? You know, I'm I'm sure they're. I think if you got them in a candid moment a, in a, a off the record moment, I'm sure a lot of them are like, we thought this is going to be a lot different and it has to be discouraging. They're getting paid, but there also has to be part of that. where like, the, the, we thought this is going to be different. And it's, not, it's not. You look at some people that signed like Eric Young, who never even made his, you know, he wasn't going to be a big name and everything like that, but he didn't never made an appearance for the company. Vince came back. He's like, I don't want to do this. And, yeah. The
1: Lanny, you know, the Lanny Poso getting paid and never making an appearance.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I mean, I think there's definitely a big factor in the, to your point, the fact that things are paid off now for the most part, the, the Cody non-win at WrestleMania, a big kind of, you know, uh, side, side note from that, but there certainly is a, it feels different. The long title reigns, which I, I think a lot of that is done to erase the past. That's been a big WWE thing forever is now, now, now. And who gives a shit about the past, unless you're trying to sell the network and it it feels that there's interesting, there's fresh matchups, there's, you know, and I look at things like, you know, the Royal Rumble, just talking about the, you know, the men specifically. This is kind of feeling when I was growing up, when you had two wrestlers that I'd never touched before, never went face to face. And I think you have a little bit of that still, you look at things like the Royal Rumble, and that kind of leads me to think, like, have faith in, like, there's bigger stuff, you know, down the road they could still do. I think people would be very excited about a, a Gunter uh, Brock Lesnar match for example who knows where we're going to get it but I think there's you have those little inner inner interactions minglings where it's just like oh man we could see this someday um, there's guys yeah I, I think that there's talents there that they have really got behind that are younger kind of newer talents and they've really stuck with them and things to your, to your point they've paid off you know back in the in the in the fully Vince era I don't think uh, Ray Mysterio would have ever gotten a win over Dominic it would have been something that just wasn't satisfying wasn't didn't have that moment and you saw it happened and, and everyone is better as a result of that that angle and how things have gone everyone i don't want to say ray is fully elevated but he kind of maintained his status he got the revenge he got that moment yeah i mean there's only so that. much
1: and, there's only so much you can elevate for ray mysterio he's Ray Mysterio, right. but at least
2: he had at least he had the the that baby face moment that we talked about at the top of the show so yeah i i, I think the the vince being gone thing it definitely is a a major piece of that pie and again when i think you kind of saw some of the reaction online when it was real that you know he was kind of getting back into things just this this groan of just yeah, like the oh, raw okay, after wrestlemania yeah it's like we're doing this again you know and you can kind of feel his influence and stuff and that's going to be you know the big i uh, say the big fight i'm really interested to see what happens when uh the merger happens later this year assuming it does is how you know i'm, I'm sure the structure will stay the same but what are the expectations of, of Vincent van at this point? And I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for them. I think they're going to do fine money wise, but the more he gets involved in creative, the more we've seen, you know, how, how much can the, the success and the way that they're riding sustain him being back in a creative role, an influential creative role, how much can that kind of offset things? I think that's going to be a fascinating thing over the next couple of years.
1: Well, and, you know, the public line for WWE has been really to downplay Vince's role in WWE, especially in the creative process. Remember when he was first backstage? Oh, he was just there to see John Cena. You know, he came up to see John Cena like, oh, you know, he wasn't wearing a headset. He was just, you know, talking to people backstage. And then he was wearing a headset. It's like, oh, he wasn't really talking, doing that much stuff. He wasn't like talking to the commentators. WWE, from a PR perspective, has kind of really downplayed vince's role as a creative head in the company and i think part of that is because they know that they're benefiting from the idea that vince is not having his fingerprints all over the product again
2: Um, and you think about think about that with other entertainment properties throughout the world if a a famed creator contributor came back and would there be that level of like oh no they're back right and this is outside like you know scandals and things like that but just from a wow they've really lost their fastball i mean you think about you mentioned like WPR doing their best to dissuade people from thinking that he's really kind of involved and back. Just, just think of that. This guy's been so yeah. synonymous at WWE, but he is so like, everyone's kind of like so over him that they have to be like, no, 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 it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Instead of being like, yeah, no shit. He's back. He's Vince McMahon. Of course he's back to make the product better. The message is, Oh, don't worry about it. He's fine. Triple H is good. He's good.
1: Triple H is still calling the shots.
2: Um, yeah, don't well, you worry.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that shows, to me, like they, they're they aware that they're, you know, if we talk about business being a part of, it, again, that, that part of that is the optics. And part of that is the idea that it's, the Triple H is in charge and the fans are, are into it. And WWE has done enough things right over the last year. Like we said, fixing kind of how baby's faces are presented, being consistent with the bloodline story, paying things off more, that fans, even if there's a reason to doubt that, Vince isn't totally gone. The product is at least good enough for fans to feel like the product is is improved, whether or not Vince is directly involved or not, or he's only involved a little bit, or he's only giving Triple H a few notes as opposed to lifting up, ripping up the the script or things like that. Um, The company has been good enough to, to, to satisfy uh, fans who might be feeling a little bit curious about what Vince's actual role is. Um, And I think, uh, you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about the bloodline, which I think is really important, uh, which is the people who are featured in the bloodline with the exception of Paul Heyman, um, we're, we're not relying on nostalgia and stars who are part on a part-time basis or past their prime or things like that, which for so long when WWE was looking to pop business, looking for someone to to main event WrestleMania, they turn to your part-time nostalgia legends, whether it was someone like Brock Lesnar, who's more of a part-timer and less nostalgia, but Goldberg and The Undertaker and Triple H and, you know, getting The Rock come, to come back and, you know, Steve Austin wrestling at WrestleMania um, and all and all of that stuff. And that was for so long kind of how WWE relied on popping business for a short period of time. And it's really notable to me that they've, found a sustainable angle and it's not relying on the past and it's not relying on, you know, attitude, error, nostalgia. It's relying on wrestlers who are, I believe all in their thirties, all very much in their physical prime, uh, in all, you know, you know, on the, for the most part on the, on the programming each week, I know Romans kind of here and there, but you know, it's not relying on, you know, a wrestler who got over 30 years ago to carry business. And I think that's really important. And it kind of um, proves a lot of previous thoughts false that you needed to have nostalgia acts to get over. These guys are are, are raising business more than ever. And it's being done with guys who are, you know, in their prime and not relying on nostalgia.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, There has not been the need to have a Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair here and, and Roman Reigns comes out to intimidate them or have like Shawn Michaels uh do a a, another uh not needed dx reunion and have reigns and in the in the bloodline just kind of take them out or something there's there's no there's no need fats like the 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 cards that we have in our hand are the ones that we're going to play with we don't need to pull off the deck again and i think that's a i think that's another like uh subliminal uh if you want to say it like thing where you don't yeah you don't have to go to john cena you know you don't have to go to a star from the past to get the heat that you may be looking for, kind of like a, a twist or a turn. You do it when it makes sense, and you do it like, for example, like um. And I keep I keep going back to that Puerto Rico show with backlash. You know, when they used Savio Vega, it wasn't like a a forced inclusion. It, he the way they fed him into that whole thing, it felt natural, and the people you know went crazy for it. Uh, and they didn't try to embarrass him. They didn't try to do anything. Like that. The way they worked him in it just, it just worked. And yeah, they have not need to, in order to boost Roman up, they have not needed to, uh, to sacrifice. Yeah. Attitude arrow legends or intimidate Sergeant slaughter. You know, some of these guys that, you know, the dozens are always around these reunion shows that they do every, uh, every now and again. And uh, yeah, that's a, it's been a refreshing thing that we have not had to have, you know, a, a Goldberg get brought back just for the sake of doing it. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a nice change and that is a to me that's a that shows the health of an of an organization where you again you, you, you play with the cards that are in your hand you assemble these for a reason and you don't have to keep going outside and, and be like this isn't good enough because that just tells your talent at least a, a percentage of your talent like we're not good enough they don't see us as good enough to to uh to be featured or to be mingling in this and that's you know, it's been kind of one of my uh, my issues with AEW is is when you constantly are bring in new talent, new talent, new talent. You you don't give people kind of a chance to get to see what's in their hand, so to speak. It's like you need a a real stable group so people can get to grow with them. You know, in in the maturity of a company, and that's something that WWE has really got away from, and I think that's a good thing. Where when a Steve Austin comes back, like he did. It's a it it fits. It's not a a square peg in a round hole. You know, okay, we're just going to do this again in a couple months.
1: Well, and it's way more sustainable to be able to whether it's making your own talent or just or signing wrestlers or whoever that wrestlers that are in their athletic primes that can work, you know, once a week is way more sustainable when those people are your biggest drawing cards as opposed to relying on someone who's only going to wrestle a match a year. And part of that is, you know the The attitude era guys really hit their physical expiration dates. You know, the Undertaker can't wrestle anymore. Triple H can't wrestle anymore. You can't rely on those guys. Ah, uh, you know, having a big match a year to pop WrestleMania or something like that. You needed to find new talent, and it's so much better. And and a few things is you mentioned like, you know, teaching, t- telling the current wrestlers you're not good enough. I mean, it, the fans. It, it would tell the fans themselves that because. They would all, you know, when they brought back Bill Goldberg or when Brock Lesnar comes out or when The Undertaker comes out, WWE always treated those people like the biggest stars possible. And, you know, that's a good thing, but it was a huge contrast to the current stars that they did have, who they did not present nearly as well. And it was a really negative perception to the fans because the fans already naturally see a Bill Goldberg or a Triple H or The Undertaker as a bigger star than the current stars that exist now. Um, so when they're presented like such big stars, it just re-hammer, hammers home the belief that the older guys are better, the newer guys are not as good, wrestling used to be better, WWE used to be better, I don't really want to watch it each week now because the current product is bad, I just want to live in my nostalgia bubble. Um, yeah. And now that you have guys that come across as you know big, big stars and are protected as such and are current modern wrestlers you know contemporary wrestlers that is a huge benefit um
2: yeah it, it, it's interesting you know we're talking about the history and or i was talking about the history and wb wants to kind of erase it as best they they can it's interesting that they they like history when it serves them best the nostalgia acts and that's what the way that they used to be and like we'll pull from the past but when it comes to respecting the past like oh we don't need that it's just they use it. They use the past to, to bolster up the the current in a negative way. At least that's how they did it for a long time. And it, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it it's interesting. And I had not thought about that. How they have not kind of done that. And again, to you to your point, they condition a lot of fans like the past is better. The attitude and, and is the only of, thing that matters.
1: And so many fans already think that, right? Like so many fans already have that position where. Uh, you know, oh, this thing I liked when I was 19 and I watched Steve Austin, you know, give The Rock a Stone Cold Center, Uh Those fans already think that. So when they're presented as such, it, it hammers at home. Even people like, people that are my age, I really do not remember the Attitude Era. Um, and, but people my age will be like, oh yeah, it was better when The Rock and Steve Austin were around. And I was like, well, I was four years old when that happened. It's not like I have childhood memories of that, but it's just been hammered home for decades that that was the peak of professional wrestling. And there's 10 million podcasts and YouTube series talking about how that was the peak of professional wrestling. Um, And everyone seems to agree on that. It just kind of hammers at home. And then when you watch the WWE product and it's always like, um, you know, focused on how great that time period was and the wrestlers from that time period are the biggest stars on the show. It just kind of continues to, to to really send that message home, and it becomes so much more difficult for wrestlers now to stand out. They have so much working right. against them.
2: Yeah, I, I mean that I that was one of my one of my eras. I'm a lot older than you are, but I mean I was in college during that era, and it was it was cool because people again, it, it was a pop culture thing where your hardcore wrestling fans were having fun with it, especially the you know the Monday Night War between between the two uh, the two companies, WCW and WWE, but also, like people that are watching it were like it felt cool, it felt edgy and different. All all the different, you know, uh superlatives that have been uh seen in the various uh you know W produced shows and, and all this stuff at this point, it's it's kind of talked to death. But yeah, I mean it, it was fun, but there's also there was fun in the 80s, there was fun spots in the 90s, especially depending on you know what people uh despite what people should say, uh, or do say rather about some of the 90s. Stuff. I mean, a, in any era you can find pockets of stuff that meant something to you just for the collective and collective outside the wrestling bubble that brought that air brought them in. Cause it was different and new and fresh. And I mean, those TV numbers will never, ever, ever get back to that level of how many people were watching raw and nitro during the time. It was fun. Cause you felt like it was a communal thing. You were part of something. And now every form of entertainment is struggling with a communal aspect. That way, when you, you do have those moments, it yeah, makes our, it feel better.
1: Our, our culture is totally different than it was in the late 90s. Hugely
2: different. Yeah. Like,
1: and, you know, our monoculture is dead. Uh, there's not going to be a TV show that's was as big as the biggest shows in, like, the late 90s. There's not going to be a sitcom that's going to be as ubiquitous as Seinfeld was. Um, and so, and so like, obviously, like, even though, you know, and the revenues are, are, are high, high for wrestling. The idea of, like, we're not going to have 8 million people tuning into Monday Night Raw, um, be great if there were be great for wwe if there were but just that stuff doesn't happen on television anymore just our culture is more fractured and and different like that so i think some people when they're like oh well they'll never reach the heights of the attitude era again and it's like uh, you know what's interesting is i was talking this is this is kind of a, a side point but i was talking to somebody um uh at a live event and they were talking about how big the attitude era was and they were like I used to be able to go to the gas station and I would see WCW merchandise being sold at the gas station. That's being mainstream. Like that's how big it was. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And then like next week I was at seven 11 and they were selling WW merchandise at seven <laughs> 11, uh, which is, yeah. I don't, again, I don't use that as a, as a barometer of, of of what is popular or not, but I just thought that was interesting. This person had kind of put this memory up on a pedestal of how popular wrestling was. And I was like, I feel like the merchandising is is more prominent now than 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 it was, you know, in the past. Maybe you don't see as many wrestling shirts out in public, but um, yeah.
2: At that same gas station, the person probably had to walk in to actually pay for it, versus now you can actually just use an app, prepay for it, and you don't have to interact with anybody. Life just changes. That's the that's the thing. Everyone's interests are so splintered now. There's as you mentioned, there's no monoculture anymore. That yeah, when you every when people kind of compare those, oh, it's never going to be that way. That's that's a person, it's going to be hard to reach with anything. You know, the the always. That's true. I'm never uh, walking
1: into gas stations unless I'm buying like a Gatorade or a lottery tickets.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the like everything is different. So, it, the, um, I Tony Soprano say to Polly one day, uh, in one of the episodes that the remember when is the lowest form of, of conversation. Tony, if people remember that episode in the last season, that's not always the case. But then when people are just, they say it in a, a, a spirited, uh, dismissal of the current product. And it's not like it used to be. It's like, okay, what, what, nothing is like it used to be. Everything is from movies to T te- everything in life is different. And if you keep holding on the way things used to be, you're going to miss a lot of cool stuff. And that's again, an unfortunate thing about this really dumb online wrestling wars is, is with all these different people saying that the other products suck so much, they're missing some good stuff. And you can like both companies. You can like any companies, one, co- whatever you want, but to dismiss it without watching it, I guarantee people would like stuff on the other show and, and vice versa. They just have to be just like, you don't have to, you don't have to defend a wall. Nobody cares. Like everyone's good. Like just like calm down a bit. People calm down.
1: Yeah. Um. So in terms of WWE's like growth in its fan base, like I think, do you think over the last year WWE has created a lot of new fans like people who never watched wrestling ever before have gotten into the product over the past year
2: boy that's a that's a tough question I think maybe the numbers would suggest
1: yes right like in theory there's a lot more people watching so some of a lot of those people must be new fans
2: I think it's uh, saying just strictly in viewership or demo demo for sure both
1: both both is fine
2: yeah so I, I think there I think there's for demos I think there's people that maybe they are kids that finally kind of can't if you look at 18 to 34 I think there are some kids that may have just kind of come along and yeah. aged into that demo and maybe that's bumping up something just kind of hit again the cool factor and so on I, I, I don't know if the kids are watching uh, WWE in colleges I doubt they're hanging around a Friday night watching Smackdown but you know stranger things have happened and I think, uh I think you know, probably along the way that there's been some some stuff that's accessible where people are watching maybe cost stuff on YouTube or TikTok clip or however kind of younger people um, connect with with pop culture these days and find things, or maybe it's kind of led them down, led them down the path of oh I want to check this out. I mean, you know how much are they watching? Are they committing hours and hours and hours on end? I doubt it, but it's a yeah, I mean, they'd have to create, I think, new fans along the way, especially you know when they cross over in different you know types of media and things like that. Who knows what kind of that connection point is? It's it's so hard for me to kind of understand that, but I think yeah, I think definitely it's probably some a lot, of, I would say a lot, a good amount of new fans that have been created. because I think we in 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 culture in any type of pop culture, you're always kind of creating new fans. It just depends on how people access, and I think they've done a good job of being a pretty accessible colorful project that a product that people can find whether they don't have cable or regular tv there's ways to to find it and especially if one of their friends says oh this is awesome you should check this out and that's you know I, again i keep flipping the AEW side that i don't and maybe we could talk about this and whatever i i think they AEW just not i don't think they make it very themselves very accessible to new non-wrestling fans i think they like to stay within a certain kind of bubble so to speak and i think WWE. i think just by obviously the branding and their history and i i I think just the way that they i think they make their game their sport their product rather more accessible than the competition does so to speak to, to the extent that AEW is competition
1: yeah, I, I just, I don't know if they're really creating new fans. I think the, the the growth is coming from fans who had kind of stopped watching regularly or stopped attending live shows and coming back to mm-hmm. the product because there's a lot more momentum behind it. Um, Which is different than as opposed to we created a bunch of new fans. I think, especially if you look at what fans they lost over the last few years and what fans they've gained um, and the fact that they're in the same demographic makes me think that, and, and that's different. I think, I think, uh, uh, um, or really like often like kind of thing that's kind of taken for granted as the truth, but it's really not, is that whatever the average viewers are each week, which, you know, it could be Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Collision, doesn't matter. Um, We kind of assume that that is roughly how many of fans there are that are invested and willing to watch. Uh, There's, you know, 1.8 million fans who watch Raw each week. That's roughly how many fans are invested in watching Monday Night Raw. Uh, and that's not true at all. There's the the audience is much larger than that. Just you have to convince those people that audience to tune in each week by offering something that is interesting for them, something that's going to make them, you know, pause whatever plans they might have to make an appointment to to sit down and be in front of the TV at eight o'clock on Monday nights to watch RAW. Um, and I think the product grabbing people better and grabbing fans who. Despite what everyone anyone else wants to say, fans who genuinely want to like WWE, want to like pro wrestling, have been turned away by WWE over the past several years because of different creative decisions and things like that, but genuinely want to like this thing that they grew up liking. Um, WW's done a better job making the, the weekly content more exciting and making it feel like they got to tune in each week. I think that's what the Bloodline's greatest strength is in the sense of feels like, uh, even though the storyline is going very slow, the idea is there's going to be something new each week. Royal Reigns is going to confront this guy. There's going to be the trial of the tribal chief. There's going to be the the showdown later. They do some rules of engagement, week. right? There's going to be a contract signing, whatever you want to branding you want to use for it, but they, they you want to see each week and that's a story people are invested in and people are like, all right, I've got to watch SmackDown this week. Um, And I just don't think that existed, uh, you know, a year or two ago. And I think that's, getting people more into the product. There are other things like uh, Peacock has, you know, had a huge growth in subscriptions. Uh, I think they're in like twice as many uh, homes as they were like a year or two ago when WWE first launched on on Peacock Um, and that, Makes it so people who were maybe, you know, who weren't not WWE network subscribers, there are maybe not regular WWE TV watchers, maybe they watched WrestleMania, maybe they watched another, you know, pay-per-view event that they saw on the streaming network um, while they're watching something else on Peacock. And they liked it, like you said, the uh, especially with like, you you mentioned the Puerto Rico show, but you can talk about like Money in the Bank in London, um, even WrestleMania and some of these other shows have had really good atmospheres. Um yep.
2: elimination chamber, right? Oh
1: yeah, elimination chamber, great example. What was better than that, the atmosphere of that elimination chamber, especially for the main event? It makes the product seem exciting, thrilling, interesting. And people who are maybe sampling it because they also happen to have a Peacock subscription and now they have access to this 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 major you know pay-per-view event. They say, oh man, that was really good. You know, maybe I'll check out Raw next Monday if I'm around or something like that. And that is, I think, making a big difference as well. Just having the, that, that kind of, you know, infrastructural access to, to, to the product. And that's why I think like if AEW were to get on HBO Max, it would be hugely beneficial because there are a lot more people with Max subscriptions than there are Peacock subscriptions. And that would allow that the, the AEW pay-per-view events, which are mostly excellence, to reach a much wider audience than selling them on pay-per-view does which you know obviously limits it because it's limiting you to people that you convince to spend fifty dollars on
2: yeah yeah it's a that is going to be a fascinating part of the the next aew rights deal is is how max is incorporated because i think it, it has to be in some point i'm yeah you know, i i'm, I'm kind of like ray for them to start getting going on some of these next developments like i just posted a story today um, there was some uh, Tony Khan interview that he did with uh, PW Insider. Mm-hmm. And basically he said that, you know, his quote unquote dream is that uh, AEW content ends up on max. I mean, we're four years or so into this, in this run. And again, there's still, unless you buy the pay-per-view or, or, or had bought it in the past, there's no way to go back and watch like, you know, the very first full gear or the very first revolution or um, all out or things like that. Like that, you can't really go back and watch, domestically and we can't yeah, go back there's and no watch. legal
1: way to watch like right i was like oh and, man you know revolution 2020 that that was so great and it's like oh, i i can't watch it because uh you know yeah, it's I, there's no access for it which is is really you know absurd in 2023 given what right. we have access to if, like if i wanted to watch a tv show that was really good or a movie i'd be very easily able to watch it
2: at any yeah, time. and that that's the thing i don't I don't understand about why some of these things take so long. Cause if, if this was, you know, again, if this was a WBE, they would be, this, this would be like, they would have packaged us up already and figured, okay, we're going to gonna do our own direct service or, you know, if this, if these things that I just, I don't, I don't understand why they're taking so long. And I I know that this exclusive deal just happened, but there's, they could have done this a year ago. They could have started uh, doing some stuff on, the same um, technology that they bought from Sinclair that they're using for ring of honors um, streaming library, which I think was kind of a Trojan horse into thinking, can we do this? How hard is this to be, to run it ourselves? Like this is, this is for, as if from a fan standpoint, again, look at accessibility and, and so on. Like it's just, it it's, they've made it hard to kind of be like, Oh, I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, and some people might do that. I don't know what extent, but it, there's things that when it comes to kind of like how the, the business is run I don't fully understand why certain things take as long as they do, and I don't know if a, you know, uh, a, a monologue by Tony Khan trying to answer a question, which you don't really get the answer. I don't know if they'll actually give the answer. I thought that All In was going to be the first, uh, the first voyage on Max for yeah. uh, for AEW because
1: they never announced how you're going to watch it for a long time,
2: and now they're doing back to back pay per views. We assume we assume that the actually have they. I'm trying to think, has All Up been officially announced as a pay-per-view yet? I think it has, right? Or someone I mean, has reported I that? I honestly
1: can't remember. But it would seem so, likely that if All In was going to be on pay-per-view, All Out would be as well. I've heard that, although this was not advertised during Dynamite, which I would strongly advertise it if it was the case, that there'll be some, there'll be some sort of discount where you can buy both for a discounted price.
2: Yeah, um, I don't think they said that last night. They did night. not.
1: They did not said it last night. I've just heard that that is a an idea and i was saying if that is the case i would be advertising that a ton because you'd get a lot of people buying both
2: uh, right yeah it's um i, I there's just and, and i think um i think brandon thurston was talking about this with with john i think it was him might have been someone else there's just a lot of mystery uh around how they do things and and that kind of holds fans at arm's length you know and it, it seems for a company that was very and very embrace of fans and and embraced uh kind of like you're along with us for the ride it there's definitely been and i think every business this happens at some point ufc this happened as well where you're kind of like we're not gonna we don't need to tell you all this stuff anymore yeah and well then, i mean it, there's
1: still a lot more transparent than wwe it's, yeah, to use it's very, an example like um eventually the bigger your business gets the more closer you have to hold things to the best i think
2: yeah but however we can get some insights from the investors calls and get a little bit deeper in the number we can talk about tents we can talk about well they're a publicly uh, traded company so yeah, yeah that's a huge that's a huge benefit of of being able to to do that so yeah it's just a you know I, they to me like you gotta have a deal in place by the end of the year of, of some sort of streaming plan or something and because you're talking about max and accessibility like it's kind of like, at this point you're there's what is taking so long, right? It's, it's a long time that international fans have access to this stuff on AEW plus. It's just, it's, it's strange. It's strange to me. And I don't know if it's strange in AEW's part, David Zaslav's part or somewhere in between. I'm not really sure.
1: Um, to talk up back on WWE, I wanted to bring up this kind of last point uh, in terms of like this, this current period and what sustainability looks like for them. Um, I feel like the bloodline angle is probably going to keep going and I don't really see a reason for why it would start to cool off over the next few months if they do keep it going. Um, But in the long run, you know, if we acknowledge it, you know, it's the bloodline angle that is really carrying things at the moment, certainly on SmackDown. I would say on SmackDown, it definitely is because it takes up about an hour of SmackDown each week. Um, And SmackDown ratings are very good. So clearly it's hard to argue that it's something else on SmackDown. Um, But what what comes next, what comes in the future for WWE? I, my questions for them are still, I, I have one question, perhaps one semi answer. My first question is, I don't really like their talent evaluation ability. I really, I've never liked it. And I'm not sure who on WWE that's like under the age of 30 especially on the male side, really stands out to me as a future top star, someone that can be built around the way that they built around Roman Reigns, or built around Cody Rhodes or Sami Zayn, or someone like that. Um, and so that would be like, if we're looking at sustainability long-term, where is that next generation of stars coming from? Um, but part of me also thinks that maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe they are so hot right now and they have so much credibility with their fan base that they can kind of push anyone in the way that they are able to present wrestlers that anyone can kind of get over to a degree. Um, and that even if someone is flawed from a performance standpoint, they can still turn into a big star uh, if kind of the way they're presented is correct. Um I think like Dominic Mysterio is like a big example of this. I think Dominic is really, really untalented, but he's been presented in a way that, despite the fact that he can't really talk and he certainly can't wrestle very well and he doesn't have a good body, he doesn't have a ton of charisma, he has turned into a positive business-moving asset for WWE. And all of that comes down to his presentation and fans buying into his character. And can they continue to do that even if they don't necessarily have the most talented roster of of, of performers?
2: So yeah, it's the this is where at some point kind of take a step back. So with when Roman was the 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 only champion. Again, your your upward motion again, as he's kind of like focused on this bloodline thing for so long, it kind of affected that ability for other guys to and girl uh, focus on the men. Uh it has kind of stunted that upward growth in terms of the the goal of wrestling in, in kind of our minds and comes to characters is I want to be the champion. And so the fact that they focus so much on the secondary titles, I think has been a a big benefit, especially with the, you know, the intercontinental title. But one of the things that they have to do is in in kind of like how you make more stars you have to create more of these kind of these pursuit stories and championship stories and 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 so on and so forth and find these um you know find these these reasons for people to get into this conflict with another man uh in the uh, the squared circle so you know with reigns at some point and this is going the the storyline is going to reach its max and he's going to have to lose the title I, I it could be against jay uso I think that's a possibility um but it, you don't want to oversell where it's it's and I thought that that point was going to be with cody you have to kind of decide okay who's going to be the next the next guy up the next pursuer i think you know with with rollins and the uh, the world heavyweight title i think we're a ways away from that really having a level of meaning that is uh that people actually you know care about like this is a title we we want to uh, focus on and so on and so forth i mean that roman reigns you know to beat him that's like the big that's the, the your, your apex mountain right there so in some of these other stories it's just a question of interesting storylines and actually creative and, and so on being like these are people that think about long-term planning like we think we can elevate in a year like where are they if you had asked triple h you know what what scene do you see dominic mysterio in a year from now, you know, um, now I'm not going to say this publicly, but you know, do they, they think he want, they want him in the world title scene in a year. Is it a heel or babyface? Do you, uh, where does Seth Rollins fit in a year from now kind of at the same level? Gunter, do you want is, is, is his world title uh, approach coming? Do you want to build to something big with him? If so, how do you get there? It's that long-term planning that's going to help really kind of, again, pay off some of these things along the way you can look back like, oh, here was the here's the the the, the uh, breadcrumb trail of where we're kind of looking and that's the stuff that I think makes fans feel good is they invest the time and is actually worth it along the way. Um you know with Cody I think paying that off at some point would be great. I don't know if it's gonna be say at WrestleMania next year or something like that. But it's there's a uh, it it just it with these top guys and the top pursuits it just depends on really like where where do they think the biggest payoffs are, and what what do they want them to be? I have faith that they have more long term playing than they did before, but the also, with the creative hope, is that you don't overstay the welcome. I know you know your uh, thoughts about the bloodline story. Um, hold those off to the side, but like, there's a point where it's going. People are going to be like, even the most ardent fans are going to be like, okay, like we're good. Like it needs something needs. I need some sort of variance here. I need Roman to be in a feud with somebody else or the Usos to kind of move on to something else. I don't know when that's gonna be, but you know, that's having them not overstay their welcome on this angle is gonna be key. I think they've done a pretty good job with it. I mean the numbers are kind of I think kind of proving that out. But again, we talked about this whole show about the cards and and the, you know, kind of up and down the roster paying some things off and so on. I think it's just finding interesting things and stuff that is going to provide that everything for everyone approach and how do they, you know, how, how far can they sustain? This is really going to depend on their desire to uh, continue to do interesting stuff, take chances. And um, again, kind of find those hot crowds and just keep thing going. Cause again, it's going to dip at some point. They have to be ready to, to make the choice and do it, be the uh, go back to New England thing. The bill Belichick approach of, of uh, used to be where, you cut a guy a year early. You don't cut them a year late. They have to be ready to cut something early, and then be ready for the future. So it's not like you finally have Cody win, but if, if it's if it's already on the downturn, it doesn't have that same effect as when you're kind of at the top.
1: Yeah, and you never really know. Like if it was up to me, I would have ended the bloodline storyline like two years ago. And that, would be, that would be really <laughs> that would be really foolish, right? From a, yeah, from a business perspective, the the length of it is, has kept it has has you know kind of it's built up so much momentum now. That It's a length is a a huge part of the story. Um, And I know like, if the idea is like, okay, we got to find the new bloodline feud, where is that going to come from? That's going to be an interesting question to ask. I think, you know, a huge reason the bloodline feud works because Roman Reigns is this really uh, compelling character in the sense of he was pushed for years and years and years as a top guy never quite took off was met with a lot of resistance from the fans and kind of used that as motivation in, in doing a heel turn um kind of selling this character that where he's secretly very insecure because he knows deep down he's kind of a failure which has kind of ebbed and flowed as far as how much they paid attention to that over the course of the bloodline it was very evident you know early when he had the hell in Cell match against the uso and, and things like that uh um, has been less prevalent as of late but uh the the, you know roman you can't just redo the bloodline because roman reigns is a character that had like 10 years worth of booking investment put into him uh you're not you're not just going to have that another person's in a similar position on that roster so you can't really recreate the bloodline but can you find other angles new ideas um in in characters that the fans are going to gravitate towards and respond to um That's a big question. But I also think that they have so much positive momentum right now with their own fans that it becomes so much easier to get stuff over, which is really the goal, right? They have fans are trusting of the product again. So fans are, well, now you start teasing an angle and fans start kind of getting interested in it. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be literature for the ages. It doesn't necessarily have to be a three or four year storyline. But when you have that kind of credibility with your own fan base, which WWE has largely regained, it opens up a lot more opportunities.
2: Yeah, it's listening to the fans and trying to stay ahead of the trends and and just kind of just li- listen. I think that's a big thing. And so many fans for so long felt like they weren't being heard. And I think now they kind of, I, I would expect, at least yeah, I'd say over the last year, they feel they're being heard more often. And I'm sure I, there's... There's some some examples I'm sure that people are like. Eh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it's. Uh, I think yeah, it's just listening listening to your audience because they're going to tell you where to go, and you have to be willing to say, uh, "We need to make a pivot here." And that forever for the Vince McMahon era, th- there was no pivots for the most part. It was steamroll ahead, no matter what. We know what's best, and sometimes your fans actually kind of know what's best. I know it's really hard for people to, the top to hear that, but that's the you. That's how. Companies really grow and stay, and again, go back to the attitude era. They're listening to fans because their fans are eating up no matter what Austin and McMahon were doing. They just kept feeding that train, and they got away from that. And this the past year, you know, we talked about a lot is that is they've got back. It seems to like we give a shit what the fans think, and that's a that's a feeling that it feels like the time is invested, and you feel part of it, even though you're really not part of the decision making. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean WWE had a whole era where they really openly had disdain for their own fan base. Uh, you know, they would <laughs> mock fans who were yeah. too invested in the product. They would
2: Can you, you imagine know, that? Isn't that the craziest thing? You would have like, Michael Cole saying weird
1: Michael Cole having to say that they're in Bizarro World anytime the fans you know cheered who they wanted to cheer and move they wanted in Toronto to boo. yeah yeah, yeah. It, it started in Toronto but Bizarro World was a rapidly evolved uh growing uh market it suddenly spanned you know the entire northeast at one point <laughs> uh, and, and into Chicago but you know you had Triple H doing the me and my friend Mark aren't going to watch any more promo um all of this stuff and you know the that for a long time, you know, they they dedicated a ton of time to like the company itself being a heel, the the WWE, the 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 authority, you know, the the company itself was a heel. I always thought it was alarming anytime someone would come up into wwe and they would cut up promo being like i'm gonna change everything about this place and like fans would all cheer like that person was a big baby face and it's like if you were a fan of something and someone said i'm gonna change everything about this place would that person be a heel because they're changing things that you of this thing that you like but the fan they had they had positioned the company and the authority within the company as heels both in storyline and in real life um And it was so negative for like getting people over and and treating the fans better. And they're in a much better place now. And I think that's really ultimately what leads to this growth is getting that trust back.
2: Yeah. It's a, an underrated part of the story is, is yeah. Fans actually feeling respected and cared about. And I think that's a,
1: And when you do that, they tune in more and they come back to live events and they'll pay more for your product. It's amazing. You got it. Seems simple. Seems like pretty basic customer service, Josh, but not just WWE and, and many, many different outlets in wrestling history that has eluded them.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Companies in general. I thought this was going to be one of the, the benefits of social media uh, and, and Twitter, especially in in the early days where brands could actually know what their customers were talking about, thinking about, and could, they could address complaints. It felt like a real fresh thing. And then everyone started complaining and then they're like, ah, this not so great and we're going to go just go back to ignoring people.
1: Yeah, well, your feelings get hurt.
2: <laughs> Very true, yeah.
1: All right, Josh, you got anything you want to plug?
2: Uh, well, is projects? there anything else? Well, I mean, we've talked for a while. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? AEW-wise or anything else going on? I know you talk a lot on on a uh, Russell nomics every, uh, every Sunday. And, uh, huh. and on this podcast, anything have, else that's got your mind.
1: Do you got, I got any, uh, quick fire topics. Uh, I want to do, let me think. I'm trying to think what I've been thinking about, uh, the last few days I'll say, um, I said this on, I think I said this on Russell nomics and it improved a little bit on Wednesday, but I still think there's a lot lacking. Uh, for the fact that they sold eighty thousand tickets, or are going to be around eighty thousand tickets distributed to this Wembley Stadium show for AW, I think it's been like really poorly promoted in the sense of we're only a few weeks away. We finally got our main event um, on Dynamite it was announced. You know Adam Cole versus MJF, which I think is going to be a big match. Um, so that's good. Uh, but I do feel like. This was a real opportunity for AEW to hammer home that this is going to be uh, the biggest wrestling event in like the history of pro wrestling and that uh, every single wrestler should be vying to try to get on this card. The wrestlers themselves should be talking about it the way MJF and Adam Cole talked about it, the way they talked about like this historic event. That they just want to wanna have the greatest match ever on because it's going to be the biggest event in wrestling history and kind of really hammer home how important the event is. Um, I think it's something WWE has historically done extremely well, especially regarding WrestleMania, where people talk about WrestleMania three for the three months leading up to WrestleMania every year, and it really sets WrestleMania apart as this major event. And I feel like AW has the perfect opportunity to do that because they are going to have a gigantic, uh, incredible uh, sized crowd, and I'm sure the visuals are going to be spectacular and just the sea of people watching professional wrestling at Wembley Stadium. Uh, And they haven't really seized that kind of level of promotion. Uh, And I'm sure the show will be good. I'm sure the show will be entertaining. I'm sure when we get there, it will be satisfying. But I'm concerned that they haven't fully capitalized on the opportunity to really brand All In as a signature event and really sell this as a historic moment that you absolutely have to be a part of if you're a wrestling fan.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. And actually that's got me thinking uh, throughout the week. Um just kind of like it goes back to my comment earlier about not making things accessible to new fans. It it feels like they are content when it comes to announcing for shows. And I I don't necessarily know if this is right or wrong. And I think it, you know, the the fretting it sometimes would be like, oh, that you know, the pay-per-view hasn't come together since until like the last week or 10 days. AEW fans, I would say for the most part, they're they're going to buy the show when it's announced because there's only five pay per views a year right now. They're like, we know it's going to be good quality, and we're in. Like, there's no there there's no uh, wiggle room unless for some reason they can't watch it. I think, and I think that's why those numbers have been very consistent. The numbers that have been reported by Dave and Brandon and, and and other people that generally, you know, they fall within a certain range. I think that the the that's good. But the one thing is you don't see them increasing. You don't see them continually going up 10,000, 20,000 per, per show. Like they were say with, you know, punk and, and so on, you know, when, when he was first in, and I, you know, again, there's a few weeks to go. I, it's kind of like, what do you, you know, what are you waiting for? What is the, what is the, what is the, the, the draw uh, the drawback of putting this stuff out there a month or even maybe, you know, six weeks in advance or really making an integral part of your show outside a a scroller in a, in a, in a quick ad read, um, during, I mean, yeah, it's August 3rd and we have one, one match. I'm sure things will come together quickly, but sometimes when things come together so quickly, you don't have the, the, the angles don't have time to really kind of marinate of just like, Oh, we're going to see this because this is because of all these different things that have happened, really kind of hit that, that, uh, that go, those go home shows to really kind of drive things home for the, you know, 850,000 people or so that they're watching dynamite those conversions, like you want those people to be, I'd be like, why are these more of these people not, not watching? What are we not doing to convert them? And I think that's a, that's like a big question. I think, I think there is some of that where they just, they don't on-ramp people the right way in terms of getting them to say, to really build that fever pitch of, I need to see this. And that's a, and part of me wonders if they care. Right. And you, and I say that, and obviously they want to grow revenue and all that. And and that's a a big part. But I just, I just think they're so focused on like the TV stuff and, and um, you know, they, they have their achievement already just by the fans, the fan base in there. You want to deliver a good show, but I think those fans are going to be happy no matter what. I wonder if that type of thinking exists of like, we can, we can have a whole car released seven days before it doesn't matter because people, the people are there and people are going to watch. We have them. So we're just going to kind of slow play this because we have to figure out two straight weeks of pay-per-views, which is also just kind of a very a schedule. I'd love to get truth serum and Tony to be like, how this come together it just happened to be the date. Cause I don't think it was a strategy to put back-to-back weekends in there uh, of pay-per-views. I think that's a, that's a kind of a tough ask, but again, it's um, they, you're right. They have not made it. They've made a, a big deal of it to our bubble. Like we know about it, but, in terms of getting the outside fan back, this is going to be a spectacle you cannot miss. They haven't done that yet. And it's surprising. Well, this is their, first, are, their first shot at really doing this.
1: They are doing a lot of media this week in Wembley State, in London, globally. Um, I know Jeff Jarrett was there. I know Paul White has been over in London oh, doing Paul, media for it.
2: Paul White and Jeff Jarrett. I mean, well, Paul I mean, I White is
1: a hugely well known yes, wrestler, though. Yes. So agree, yeah. you the, his value really to AEW, I know he's not like on the product all the time, but his his value to AEW is he can pop on talk shows and, and, you know, local events uh, and talk about, Oh, okay. We're coming to London. Um, You know, this is going to be at Wembley stadium. Like obviously, uh, and people know who he is. He's, you know, what, probably one of the, I don't know, if you consider him an active wrestler, he's probably one of the five to 10 most famous wrestlers in the world. Um, in terms of just people being able to recognize him, they might not know his name.
2: Really? That's an interesting list.
1: Well, I'm talking about like I'm not saying he's he like would draw a ton of money, but just as far as like I think I have. I think way more people would know who the Big Show is than like Seth Rollins, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I'm just talking about like and like like I think like people who aren't even wrestling fans know who like the big show is Um, because he's you know he's the big show he's a gigantic man Um, but that's neither here nor there Um, I think my issue with All In is not even that we don't have like a whole card of matches announced it probably would be better if they did um, but that's not I think like their style for AEW's promotion of its pay-per-view events is often like you know we're going to announce a lot of the matches like the last, you know, in the dynamite before, and then so do a quick build kind of while wow, it's fresh in everyone's mind. Uh which you can debate is whether that's uh successful or unsuccessful. Um there's probably merits it strengths and weaknesses to it. But my issue is like really we're a few weeks away and we don't know we don't really have like a creative direction for a lot of these guys. Like who is Kenny Omega gonna wrestle at Olympic Stadium or the Young Bucks or the Elite? Are they gonna have a match? Who's CM Punk gonna wrestle? At, uh, you know, uh, Wembley Stadium. Who's Chris Jericho wrestling at Wembley Stadium? Maybe something involving, you know, Daniel Garcia or Sammy Guevara. Um, we just we don't know. We don't have those clear directions because oftentimes with AW pay per views, even if we only get the matches formally announced, you know, a few days before the event, we basically know what's going to happen on the show. Um. It's just a matter of time of them doing getting to the storyline point where they're actually going to announce the match. But we can see, we can, people who are watching the weekly product can see where this is headed. Um, and that just isn't the case with All In. It just seems like we don't have clear directions for a lot of these guys and the clock is a ticking. You know, we've got, you know, three or four more shows to go. Um, it's going to be, re- a, I think, a, like a really interesting to see how hard they're able to promote this. Um, yeah, and it, you know, it's absurd to say it's a poorly promoted show when you look at the business it's done. uh i just I just think they're I think they're they haven't capitalized on an opportunity to brand all in as the biggest show of the year and have this be an annual event. draw eighty thousand fans every year instead of just this one
2: um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think they think it's the biggest event of the year. I think they. And that may sound crazy to say, I I, I think they, I don't think that they, they haven't acted like that. it is like, no, promoter. they haven't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Tony Khan has said it's going to be the, the best show in their history, but Tony again, Khan said, said it's heard. going to
1: be the biggest wrestling event in history on Wednesday night, yeah. which some people will be like, oh, again, that's not the biggest wrestling event in history. But I'm like, good, good. The promoter should be saying this show is going to be the biggest event in history. Um, And yeah. it's not without credibility. They're probably going to end up with, you know the largest paid audience or, 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 you know, in history. So it's not like a a crazy, you know, there's some validity to it, but he's a promoter. He should be making it seem like this is going to be bigger than any WrestleMania ever. It's going to be bigger than any AEW event in history, any WCW event. It's going to be 80,000 plus fans at Wembley stadium for their, for their UK debut. It should be treated like that. Um, Yeah.
2: I wonder. Yeah. I mean, to your point, it's, it's not out there as the, it should be like, because you're going to see, X versus X and X versus X. I, I I think I think we're gonna get a second match announced by collision, whether it's a uh FTR challenge of the Young Bucks if they want to do a big match there, if it's a something to do with the punk starks thing or yeah, I I I think we're gonna get at least one more out of this weekend. Um but I mean we have to have I think I think it's gonna be substantial work done here in the next in the next weeks in terms of let's get some stuff to people to look forward to and how it fits, how it flows into all out is, is fascinating as well. I think, I think
1: that's that's actually, I think that's like, I'm really, I think that's really going to be interesting to watch. I think they could have the opportunity to do some really cool stuff.
2: They Just, can. I mean, the
1: I, scheduling is probably less than ideal. Like you said, like, I don't really know if that would be a ch- why they chose to do pay-per-views and back-to-back weeks, but it does it, It will be a very interesting experiment to see how that is juggled. What happens on All In that will plead into All Out? Will it kind of be this seamless transition between the two shows? Can you do a major angle at All In and then run it back at All Out like a week later? How how will that impact business? I think all that's very fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely going to play into the MJF-Cole thing. Whether Cole does a turn at All In that leads to All Out of MJF does. I, I think there's... I think they're going to go back to back with, uh, with matches between those guys with some sort of the hook is going to be whatever happens at all in. And then, you know, the full payoff, maybe at all out or something. I I think there's something there, but yeah, you have a lot of that. And that allows them to be like, look, our bill to all out was this paper we did seven days prior. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how that turns out, but it's a uh, Yeah. I, I'm, I have a month from now. This Tuesday,
1: this Tuesday in Texas,
2: that's right. Yeah. A month from now where that'll be really interesting to kind of look back and on, on if they were able to land the plane or not. We'll, uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah. All right, Josh, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, is there anything did you plug? Did you already plug your stuff for here?
2: uh no no i i kicked kicked over you for more questions yeah uh so i i am a tribunal for wrestlingobserver.com you can check us out obviously uh you know that
1: i think my and listeners are familiar with the wrestling observer
2: i'd say so i would say so and you can check me out at the uh, do a podcast for them josh nason's punch out and i do that a couple times a month with interesting guests and and so on uh the last person I talked to was uh ben goldstein who is a the former uh, editor in chief of Cage Potato, which was an MMA website that was really kind of a big deal, kind of more of a humor-based take on MMA back in the boom period of you know two thousand five, two thousand six, and so on and so forth. And Ben is a just recently came off a run on Jeopardy as a five-time champion. And I was fascinated by that story. I read a book about Jeopardy last year, which I thought was really fascinating. And did you, did you I read uh, to-
1: Claire, Claire McNear's book?
2: That's that was the book that was the book, yeah. yeah. so I was i I'm not like a huge Jeffrey fan, but I was very i I was very kind of interested in how everything works. So, yeah, Ben and I talked for an hour. Uh, so that's available for free on the on the website. And, yeah, just kind of interesting conversations about things that we kind of take for granted in the uh, the pro wrestling space institutions and and so on and so forth that exist and uh, and and kind of you know getting in the weeds a little bit, uh, indie promoters, how things are going um former personalities that have out so things like that which are kind of just part of the there's there's a lot of choices in people's podcast days right i mean so i want to do something that's a little bit different not just a a recap of dynamite or raw or something like that i want to do something that's a, a little bit different
1: yeah no and i have been a guest uh a couple times couple on yeah i know I'm, i was actually i was thinking that this i'm like this is Josh's first appearance on my show, and that's that's a bad that's a bad job on my because you've been very courteous with your platform, uh, welcome me, me onto your show several times, and I know there's been plenty of people on the the you know Voice of Wrestling Network that have also appeared uh on Josh Nason's Punch Out uh before yes. in the past, so there's a lot there's a lot of crossover appeal between the two brands. Um, we're gonna have a Survivor Series match uh this this November. Um, my my biggest fear, I I, my, I, I watch Jeopardy pretty regularly, and I'm pretty good at trivia um but i always have the fear of jeopardy like it's i i would never be able to to I, i'd be way too nervous i would blow it very quickly um, my, <laughs> big, my big fear is it's going to be like the, the final jeopardy question is going to be like professional wrestling or something it's going to be the category and i'm just going to totally choke uh and it would be like embarrassing because people at home would be like oh jesse's gonna nail this question and it's like really easy and i just blow it because i'm too nervous
2: exactly yeah yeah that's uh, that's your scarlet letter for the rest of your uh, the rest of your professional life yeah it's I, I gonna be like
1: yeah. who defeated who? Spotty slammed Andre the giant in front of wrestlemania 3 which like would be maybe like a real jeopardy question they would ask and i would i would somehow get manage to get it wrong <laughs> all right well thanks well, a lot josh um thanks a lot everyone who's been listening and i'll talk to everyone again in a while
0: go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.